Ever wonder what it's really like working at a summer camp? Does that camp magic fade when you know what's going on behind the scenes? Or does it stay that magical place forever? Let's dive in and take a look at what it's like being a camp counselor. This is Confessions of a Camp Counselor. Thank you for joining me in this episode of Confessions of a Camp Counselor. Today, we will hear from someone who worked for six years at a summer camp. He is passionate about helping children and making sure they feel loved and wanted in the world. Let's hear from Chauncey Liston. Tell me a little bit about your camp and your background with it. Oh, man, that's a hard, hard one to start on. So my background at camp, I worked at Camp Reed for six years as a counselor. And then I volunteered there for three more summers um, prior to my work as a counselor. And I have kind of a weird camp story. So I went to a YMCA camp here in Montana when I was 10 years old, 11, 10, somewhere in there. And it was a horrible experience. I hated it. The roof leaked. My counselor was mean. The food was awful. We weren't allowed to go in the lake because no one wanted to get lifeguard certified. So we were just kind of stuck. It was a camp on a lake with no lifeguards. And I was a baseball kid growing up, and summer was baseball season. So I had my one experience. My parents had me try it. It just wasn't for me. I swore off of camps for the rest of my life at age 10. And then when I was 14, we had family friends tell us about Camp Reed, R-E-E-D, about an hour north of Spokane. Um, and it's about a four-hour drive from where I'm from, Missoula, Montana. And I went out because my siblings were going to be campers, but I was too old. And I went out, toured it, and kind of just fell in love with the place. And I jumped in in the counselor and training program. And our counselor and training program is a little bit different than other camps. Our CITs are not super focused on working with kids at that point. You're doing a lot of work with the campgrounds itself, you're doing projects. We cleared out a camp trail um, and a campsite for kids to go on overnights to, and then planted flower beds, hauled railroad ties. And, you know, it's just, a, it's a work week. And then as soon as you're done with work week, you go and you do a 300 mile bike ride. So you go around Lake Coeur d'Alene and all the way back up to Spokane. And I hated it to begin with because everyone else as kids they have these 10 years of camp experience going as a camper. They get to have these beautiful times, best years of their life. And then for them, CITs is getting to give back to that place. But I had never been to the place. So I really didn't have anything to give back to at that moment. And for the first three days, I was miserable. And you wouldn't know it listening and looking at me now, but I was horrible socially as a kid. I was super shy, really uncomfortable. People didn't want to be around me. And camp and the CIT program taught me that those just weren't the right people to be around. And they taught me that there is something in myself that I can love and appreciate. And once I start to do that, other people will. And it just, camp just reshifted my mindset at 14, 15 years old into believing that I was worth being around people and I was worth having around. So that's kind of where my love for camp started. And from there, it's just been a whirlwind of just getting to be a 10-year-old kid all summer. 
Um, so that's kind of my camp origin story. That's a wild story. I definitely, that's definitely one that I haven't heard before. Like most people are like, yeah, I went to camp in like third or fourth grade and I fell in love with right. it and like automatically knew I wanted to be a counselor. But yours was like, I hated it. I hated it so much. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I hated it. And then about halfway through my first week out there, it was like, wait, I get it. And it's just clouds parted, angels started singing. And I was like, okay, I understand this. I didn't think I wanted to be a counselor. I didn't find my love for it until a couple years later. But it, it planted the seeds, and it showed me that the place was someplace I could trust. And I'm not exactly a trusting human being, so that was huge for me, especially in the classic everyone's 14, you hate the world. You know, to have a place in the world where people were like, we don't care if you're upset. We don't care if you don't want to talk. We just care that you're here. And for me, as a super self-conscious 14-year-old, that was everything. Um, and it, gave, it planted the seeds of love in my heart. They just didn't grow until later. Yeah, so then what made you decide to actually go to camp then after hating? So it was the weirdest combination of me being an incredibly impulsive person and then right place, right time. So I went out there with my siblings when I was 15 after my freshman year of high school and went out and was just touring the place, and it looked like an awesome place to hang out. You know, Camp Reed's got every summer camp activity you could imagine, from mountain biking to pranking to hiking sports, all of it. So it looked super fun to me. And then I ran into the director while I was out there, just kind of wandering around the place, and he was incredible. And he was talking to me about it and why he loved it. And so it was just this combination of, me being there, being pretty vulnerable as a human being, and then having the director just see me wandering around and go, hey, walk with me, talk with me, tell me who you are, what you're about. Um, and so it was just him going out of his way. He didn't have to do that. He was just a, I was just a random kid from Montana at his summer camp, but he did. And so that, that kind of kept me there, you know, and I signed up for the CIT program, not really knowing what I was getting into, and then was pretty shocked by it a week later, but it, yeah, it started everything. So how did your, how did then your experience change when you became a counselor from being a camper? It, it's the, the way our camp breaks down. So we go camper from age five to age 14 ish. And then you're a counselor in training for one year. And then you're a junior counselor for two years after that. And the junior counselor role is where you're working hands-on with the kid. You're essentially the big brother in the cabin if the counselor is the mom or the dad. Um, so I did two years of JCing, and just every time I left, I felt like I was leaving part of me behind. Every time I drove away from camp, I just felt like part of my soul was there. And the more times I left as a volunteer, as a junior counselor, the more I felt my soul was out there. And it took an older counselor when I was in my first week out there, it took him sitting down and just, he talked to me about what he appreciated about camp. And he talked to me about the, the beauty of kids being able to be kids. And to me, summer camp is the final frontier of our society for kids. It's the last place where people like us around our age, the millennial age, 
we got to grow up in a couple years of the pre-screen right here, always on your phone, no face-to-face interaction. And camp provides this area where phones, at least at our camp, are not allowed. We're in a technological dead zone. So kids kind of have to socialize in a way they're not familiar with. And talking with that counselor in my first week, I it really laid the groundwork for me. And just sitting out in this meadow at camp, looking at the stars and talking about how important it is to learn how to communicate with one another and be able to make eye contact and know how someone's feeling based on how their mood changes. Um, and so it was just a lot of different factors of it almost wouldn't let me escape it because every time I left, there was just something calling back to me. And even now, you know, I did it for virtually 10 years. I still, there are certain smells when the weather turns a certain way in the springtime, it just camp calls me back and it feels right. And I, I know my time there has come to an end, but it's still, there's just something about the place that it's joy and it's happiness in its purest form. And there's no agenda. There's no manipulation. It's just kids. And what do you want to do to be a better person today? How can you become better? What makes you smile? And I feel like we've lost a lot of that in society. And we're so polarized and we're so against each other at all points in time that to have an area that the minute you crossed onto the dirt road going into camp, it's just everything in the real world didn't matter anymore. And all that mattered was being there and being present in the moment. So it was conversations that laid that groundwork for me that really kept me coming back and inspired me to want to be a counselor and inspired me to want to help kids because it just camp to me made me a human being. And I don't know if I'd be alive here without it today, but it just is, it's a place of unrelenting love and you just don't find that very often. When you think of that camp community, then what do you think of? Like, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, I don't think I'm allowed to say their names, but I have three campers in particular that I think of just because they were they were the perfect embodiment of kids who need camp. Rough home lives, never had adults praise them, never had adults tell them they did a good job, abusive parents, horrible home lives. And these three kiddos, they came out to camp. They were there my entire tenure. Um, they were there from when I started as a CIT to when I finished as a counselor. And they became sort of this, a group for me where it was a group where my only role in the group was to make sure they got to be kids for a week. And so when I think about the community, I think about those three people in particular and then about the building blocks that allowed them to be kids. And that's camp as a whole. I've always likened camp to a bucket. You know, it's a five-gallon bucket. We are all drops falling from the sky. We're raindrops. And if there's no bucket to collect us, we just fall to the ground, the earth absorbs us, and that's it. We've served our purpose. But with a bucket collecting all these drops, you've created this community that is stronger when it's together and it's contained and it has some form of structure. And you can use that bucket to quench a thirst. You can put out a fire. You can grow crops. It is something that takes on a life of its own as soon as all the powers that be have worked together to create it. 
So for me, that's just what the camp community is. It's this group of people who would do anything to put a smile on someone else's face. They're the most genuine human beings I've ever met. I consider myself the luckiest man on the planet just getting to know people like that. And I get to live with them three months a year. It just is something that I never would have fathomed for myself. And it's something that it's a community where it doesn't matter who it is. You can sit down next to a fire and have the deepest life conversation you've ever had with them. Or, you know, I, I've had some very close friends and family pass away while I was out at camp. And there is not a support structure I'd rather have because those wonderful human beings would take the shirt off their back. They would give you an organ if you needed it simply because you asked. And you don't, you don't find that love everywhere. And I think that's part of the magic of camp. And that's part of the magic of a community who sees each other year after year is you build off of it and you get to watch kids grow and mature and become people who you know are going to change the world. And that to me is camp. And that's what camp is, is us getting a chance to inspire the next generation to do more than we did and to see more than we did. And that doesn't exist without the structure. Taking a little bit of a different direction. So what do you do when you don't have campers, when it's just you and the staff or you have a day off or I don't know how your camp structure <laughs> works, but. Yeah, so we break down, we're, we're at camp basically six days a week, 24 hours a day in the summer. Um, and then we have from about noon on Saturday to 2 p.m. Sunday off. And I think the thing that, to me, looking back on it a couple years after I started, that spoke volumes as to who the camp people are, who the community is. We are living in the closest proximity with one another for six days nonstop. And then we could all go home. We should all go home and sleep and recover and get ready for the next week. But we don't. We choose to hang out with one another afterwards. So kids go home and it's immediately like, how are we getting the group together? What are we doing? What is it? Um, and a, a lot of it is stress relief. You know, there are certain kiddos that they are a little harder to work with, and those are my favorite kids. But not everyone is gets to see the same side of those kiddos. And so people need to blow off steam, and you'd expect people to go home and just sleep, and they don't. You know, we're always doing stuff together, and we always find time to do things together. And then during the off-season, you know, I – talk to camp people every day. I don't, there's never a day that goes by where I haven't talked to someone from camp. And these could be people that I worked with four years ago, five years ago, who never came back. They did one summer and they were done. But we forged a connection through a mutual love. And so it has created this almost spider web where I feel like I am a completely different person around that group of people than I am around my friends at home. And they just bring out a different side of me because there's a different comfortability there. And it's weird to be super comfortable, like insanely comfortable with a group of 50 plus people at any given time. You know, you walk into a house party in college, you know, maybe three people there and it's an uncomfortable experience but you walk into a camp get together and it's 50 people that you can't wait to talk to. 
and it, you can't wait to be around. And it, it, going to war is the wrong phrase for it, but you are so close together and you are living 10 feet from each other. You know, at our camp, we do cabins of about 10 kids in them. And we're just in the woods. We're just dropped in the woods in cabins. And so you have this bonding through not just being in the same place, but experiencing the same things and having the same kiddos in your cabin that someone else does in their unit or that you got for a free time. So there's this commonality like I've never experienced anywhere else. And they just, they get it. You know, can't people get it? And I wish I knew what it was. I wish I could put it into words. But it doesn't have to be somebody that works at your camp. You know, you and I work at different camps, but we get it. We get camp, and we understand what it means when part of your heart is in some place that society doesn't think you should work at after you're 20 years old. And so that, I, to me, is the camp community. I, I do. I get it. Like, you, right. you leave. Like, honestly, even when... Abe and I were still together, and he was like, yeah, my friend Chauncey, like, he worked at camp, too, and I was like, I have to talk to this man. Like, I have to talk to him. Like, Done. He knows what's up. Like, he knows what I've been through, because regardless of how far away our camps were, there's there's something about going to summer camp that's just life-changing, regardless of whether you fall in love with yes. it the first time you go or you fall in love with it years later. There's just something. Right. Yep, there is. And it's just you and you know, like when somebody else is a camp person and you are in a room, you can tell. And it's there's almost this magnetism that draws you two together to have a conversation. And you don't know why until the person goes, oh, yeah, I work at a summer camp. And then all of a sudden it's just lights are firing and it it works. Oh, I know. I This is and this is why I do this podcast is just to talk to people about camp. Because what's oh. better than that? Like, honestly, what's better than right. talking to someone about the, something you love? There's Definitely. nothing. And that's that's one thing I will give my friends who aren't camp people so much credit for is they will listen to my camp stories. They don't know who the people are. At my camp, we all have nicknames. So they don't know who the people are. They don't know who Battle Axe is. They don't know who Firebird is. But they know that I love it. And so there's this special group of people that are the in-betweeners. They didn't do camp, but they will let us talk about camp. And those are, those are special people, you know. And, I, I mean, I broke up with a girlfriend at one point because she told me she hated camp, and that's all I needed to know. And she'd never been to a camp. She just hated that it drew my attention. So that, and that was it. You know, the minute she said that, my mind was done. You know, it was easy. It was made up. And... That's and it's it's hard. It's a harsh example, but that's what camp means. And it's just like if the people who don't get it enough to be like, I hate that you love this, they're just never gonna get it. I don't know. There's something magical about it. Yeah, and I I feel like there's the real world implication where it's like we love it so much. So if a significant other can't see that and can't empathize with that love. I think that's kind of where the dividing line comes in. You know, and if somebody on date number three is just like, I don't get this, I don't want to hear about it, it, I think, is a roundabout way of them being like, well, I don't really care about what you love. And yeah. and it's it's harsh, but it, it, it is kind of how I feel about camp. You know, camp is my one line in the sand where it's just like, I don't need anyone to understand it, but I I love them so much more if they can appreciate why I love it. 
Also, going back, you said your camp names. I heard Aaron's camp name. What was your camp name? <laughs> so we'll, we'll dive into name night because it is the craziest night we have at camp without campers there. Um, so my name is Thunder, and it's a play off of my name. So my full name is Cloudy with a chance of thunder showers. Thunder for short. <laughs> Honestly, that's so funny. Yeah, so to me, like, I can't hear a song with the word thunder in it. I can't hear somebody talk about weather without responding to it, without having a visceral reaction that I can't control. Because it's, to me, thunder and Chauncey are different people. You know, thunder is what Chauncey wants to be on his best day. And I think Camp pulls that out. And yeah, like... NASA, National Aeronautical Space Administration, we, we just, we play name games, you know, we name everyone at camp. Once you have a camp name, that's kind of like you're officially part of the family as a staff member. Sounds really cool. I know we do not have camp names, we just go by our normal names, but I really like that tradition of camp names and having that be something so influential in the camp experience. Yeah, well, and one of my favorite stories ever is there was this kiddo, and he has now since grown up and has given me permission to tell this story so I can use his name. His name is Sievers, S-E-A-V-E-R-S. And I got, I got to watch Sievers grow up. You know, I first met Sievers when he was 12 years old, my first year as a counselor. And Sievers was on the, our waterfront where our lake is, and he was devastated, full ugly sobs, the classic kid just can't get enough air in to even cry. And I went down and just sat next to him and was chatting with him, and he was super upset because his name was weird. And so he was worried that when he became a counselor, he wasn't going to get a camp name. And this is a kid at 11, 12 years old. And, and so, well, then, of course, we spent the, ne the rest of the week, the next three days, coming up with camp names for him. But it, it has such a profound impact that even kids at 11 years old are thinking about it. And they're thinking about taking that step towards becoming a counselor. And I think that's the power of camp because we all wanted to emulate the counselors we had growing up. And I didn't, I didn't really get that as a kid, but I got to work with the counselors when I was a volunteer in a CIT. And I wanted to emulate them more than anything. And so I think camp provides a really cool role model to kids that bridges the gap between peers and parents. You know, camp counselors at Camp Reed, anywhere from 18 to 24, and we are so much closer to these kids today in terms of technology than they are with their parents. And that's such a huge thing with kids, and Fortnite it revolutionized the camp game. But it's such a huge thing with kids, and it's so it, – it, we get to be that bridge. We as counselors get to show them that there are adults out there who can still be kids, who can still have fun, and kids can ask us the hard questions sometimes. You know, especially when you get into older ages, 13, 14 years old, these kids can ask their camp counselors questions that they are uncomfortable asking their parents. And they can ask questions that seem dumb to their peers that they're curious about. So I think the camp counselor fits a vital role in 
we're just this in-betweener where kids essentially live with us for a week. And so you develop a trust. And then they feel comfortable asking questions that, you know, if they ask this question in a health class at school, they would get laughed at and mocked by all their peers. But it's camp. It's a safe environment. It's an environment built on trust and mutual respect. So they feel comfortable asking that. And I just, I, I don't know where else that exists, but camp. And it's just, it's really cool to be able to fulfill that role. Did you ever have a counselor or someone at camp that you looked up to and go, that's what I want to be? And how, how has that impacted how you are a counselor? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a million dollar question. The easy answer is yes, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> camp counselors are the greatest people I've ever met. I would have been a fool at 15 years old and super self-conscious to not want to emulate them. Um, There are five or six counselors that I worked with very closely over my years as a volunteer, and I wanted to take certain styles. So my first counselor I ever worked with when I was a junior counselor, volunteer, 16, 17 years old, after my junior year of high school, his name was Cobra. And... Cobra had, he had some impulsive problems. You know, he let some kids get away with things they probably shouldn't have. And, but Cobra always brought this infectious energy. He had this zeal that was unparalleled. And my first night that I sat down with Cobra, he looked at me because we go out at night and sit and chat and debrief the day while the kids are asleep um, with counselor, junior counselor. And the first thing Cobra said to me was, no matter what you think you're doing, the kids will always show you what you're doing. So if you look at your cabin and they're all kind of glaring or rolling their eyes, look at your own body language. Check yourself. See what you're presenting from a physical standpoint. And then I, I of course, expanded on that in later years with my junior counselors, but it was planting that seed of body language and how we represent. And so I wanted to take that from Cobra. And I noticed with him, it was his, his zeal that turned him into a kid magnet. You know, camp counselors are all just responsible kid magnets. And that's what drew kids to Cobra. And so I wanted to steal that sort of part of his counselor style. But then there was another counselor I worked with named Drift. And Drift didn't do anything crazy. He wasn't doing the craziest night activities. He wasn't streaking through camp in his underwear. He wasn't lighting off fireworks across the lake. He didn't do anything insane. But what Drift did was he filled in the little gaps. You know, he noticed when kids were not eating. Or he noticed when a kid who is normally incredibly talkative stopped talking and stopped interacting. And so uh, from him, I learned that people are patterns. And when patterns change, there's something different going on. And so he taught me how to look at kids and look at the way they behaved to figure out if there was bullying in a cabin, or if there were friendships that just weren't friendships, you know, the classic one side thinks that the cool kids are being their friends and the cool kids are bullying them. And 
so he he taught me that and i i just i learned from so many incredible people ahead of me and really tried to fuse as much as i could into all of it and so yeah i i had counselor inspirations and i had director inspirations you know i learned how to talk to kids from our director bucky for my first three years he was a kid whisperer you know kids would go and talk to him and he would take a kid who was incredibly homesick or having some issues with behaviors and he would get to a true root of the problem you know he would ask the kid about their home life he would ask what was going on and so he wasn't just getting surface level oh i'm fine i just didn't drink enough water today he was getting really into there and then those kids felt heard and they felt appreciated and I think that's something we're missing a lot as a society is telling kids when they do a great job because everybody loves to hear it. So I learned that from Bucky and I learned about giving kids options from Bucky and I learned all these different things. And, uh, you know, from everything I learned from staff, I feel like I learned twice as much from the kids. And kids are just what adults should be before the world beats us down. You know, kids are what is great about the world. They're able to look at something and see the beauty in it without having to force themselves to do it. And so I think when we start looking at them as people instead of children, we learn so much more from them. And that's another thing that I think camp provides that other places don't. You know, school kids aren't looked at as people. You know, they're stuck on a rigid schedule. They're thrown this homework, regurgitate this information, and then you get to move on to the next one. Camp's not like that at all. Camp's all about just being who you are. And so I think that kids have this ability to teach us in a way that adults don't. And mostly it's the camp counselor people who want to listen to that while society doesn't. And and I think that's what makes camp special is we're just constantly learning and we're learning complex lessons from the simplest form. And it's kids. You know, there's the classic metaphor. You're truly an expert when you can explain something to a five-year-old. But when a five-year-old can explain something, they are also an expert. They're just not taking facts and regurgitating them. They're taking feelings and trying to flush those out. And so I think there's so much opportunity to learn from kids and counselors alike. And so that, that's just that's one of my favorite things about being out there is just hearing from these kids and learning. And there are so many weird kids out there who just know more about bugs than I ever will because that's what fascinates them. And all they want is somebody to listen to them. All they want, it's just like you and I talking about camp or somebody who loves sports talking about football. If you have an active audience, you can talk about it forever. And kids just need an active audience. You know, they need an adult to look at them and be like, wait, what do you know about praying mantises? And then you just learn so much. And it's just a seven-year-old kid just being like, well, here's what I read. And I, I think that's, that's just, it's what camp is, and it's what it's all about. Tell me about your most challenging cabin or group, and what did you do to make it less challenging? I think I'm a really weird one in this area. To me, the challenging cabins are my favorite cabins. The Because to me, a challenging kid is just 
reflecting, I think, with a lot of kids who are tough at camp and a lot of cabins who are tough at camp, it's because the world has just buried them under so much shit. And it's these kids who at 10 years old are providing for their three younger siblings because mom has a drug problem and dad left before they were born. Or it's kids who grow up in a household with an abuser and they go home every day to just the most horrific things you could ever imagine. So to me, the kids are not the problem. The system is the problem. Where they come from is the problem. So I've always looked at really hard groups as this is not a group that is tough to work with. This is a group that needs extra love. They need more patience. This is a group that needs someone to just look at them and tell them that they're a good human being. And they need somebody to look at them and build a confidence that they can take. You know, it's one week a year to try and build up so much armor around them that the pain of the world doesn't get through. And every year you see those kids coming back if you can build more armor around them. And it's to, it's to from an adult perspective, look at a kid and be like, you are awesome. You did this. You are so smart. You are a genuine human being. Don't let the world take that from you. And that's how I've always looked at challenging kids because they are, they are just the kids that need a little more love. You know, the kid who comes from an affluent family in a rich neighborhood who's never wanted or needed for anything, they're a ton of fun. They're the camp diehards. They're the kids that you can get crazy with. But they're not necessarily the kids that need camp on the same level. And so when I get a challenging group, it's less of how do I overcome that challenge and more of what can I do to make this group realize that the things that the world has told them are wrong with them are actually their greatest strengths. You know, and it's, I think of one group in particular, a couple of summers ago, I had a group of eight and nine-year-old boys who I adored, one of my favorite cabins ever, but there was a lot going on there. Two of them came from very, very abusive households. One of them was just an ADHD kid to the max whose parents just pumped him full of pills all year until... He hit camp, and then they took him off. So he'd only be off his pills one week a year, and that was at camp. And that kid had developed a little bit of reputation of being a really hard kid, but it was only because it's the first time that he felt like his full personality was coming out. You know, so the he and he talked to me. We had some really good in-depth conversations, especially for a nine-year-old. And he talked to me about how his ADHD medication made him feel like a zombie and he didn't feel like a human being and he didn't feel like his personality could ever come out. And we kind of just put it on the metaphor of like a hose. You know, he's got a hose and he turns the water on and then the pill stops it. And so it just builds up and it builds up and it builds up behind that block in the hose until the hose explodes. And he had some behavioral issues at school that stemmed from the hose exploding but at camp, we removed the pill, we removed the blocker, and it was a free flow of water. And so 
for me and working with him, it was just an individually tailored thing. He and I had a signal. When he was overwhelmed, when something was stressing him out, he just flashed me that signal, and that just meant, hey, I want to go be by myself for five minutes. Can you come talk to me after that? And so it was a lot of just on an individual basis looking at him and being like, all right, man, you just you advocate for yourself. You tell me what you need, and we'll make it happen. If playing music and getting up on the tables and dancing in the lodge during meals is overwhelming, why don't you and I go sit outside? We could listen to the music. We can talk about whatever. Um, so I think with challenging kids, it was just for me on an individual basis. I'm a little obsessive about it. I keep journals on every cabin I've ever had. I have uh, mark down patterns. I model behaviors. I just, I, I want to keep it congruent because as you well know, so much happens during a camp week that you don't remember what happened Monday afternoon by the time you hit Tuesday morning, because you've done 80 different things in between that time span. And so for me, journaling really helps with that. So when I have cabins that need more love, I journal more and I take more time to work on them one-on-one. -on -one. And it's a lot of just figuring out what works for them. You know, I had a kid who was on the spectrum at one point who was pretty nonverbal until he was doing something artistic with his hands. And I didn't find it out until I walked past one day and he was talking to a couple of the dudes in my cabin while he was coloring. And so he hadn't said a word to us for two days, no matter what I did, no matter what I put in front of him, talking with him, nothing. He just, it, it, it wasn't him. It wasn't how he communicated. And then once I saw that, from there it was just, I threw colored pencils and paper in my pocket everywhere I went. And when we wanted to have a conversation or when I needed him to listen, I would just be like, hey, man, can you go find a good rock and just start drawing? And then he would be drawing, but then he'd be actively participating. And so it was just finding what works for kiddos on an individual basis. You know, it's, I, I feel like I keep harping on this, but we're so dismissive to kids as complex creatures at this point. You know, we don't look at them and understand that they process the same emotions that we do. And so I think just taking kids and looking at them and just asking them what they need, what makes life easier, what makes them smile, I think really helps with the kids that are problem kids historically. And kids that get written off by the rest of the world, they don't get written off at camp because camp is a much more free-flowing structure. You know, at school, a kid couldn't give his teacher a signal to go leave. At school, if a kid was drawing in a notebook while a teacher was talking, she would take the notebook away. He would take the notebook away because the kid's not focusing in a traditional mindset. And so I think camp allows us to look at these kids who haven't gotten a fair shake of the stick and who the world just puts obstacle after obstacle in front of and Figure out a creative way for them to learn. Figure out a different way that, you know, not everybody fits in boxes. And we try and put everyone in boxes because we're worried about conforming to an ideology. And I think we as camp counselors get to break that mold a little bit and get to look at a kid and be like, you build your own box. Build whatever you want to be and then do that. And... So I think with, with problem kids, it's just all about figuring out what box works for them 
And sometimes it's a box you never considered, but you walk past the Arts and Crafts Center and they're coloring and talking to their friends. Or a kid is absolutely terrified of the water and it's not about swimming, it's because there's seaweed in the lake. And so it's just figuring out what causes kids to be uncomfortable because they're not going to verbalize it in the same way that an adult is. But to to recognize that, I think, is the best way to help them, and especially with problem kids, is just figure out why why they got labeled by society as a problem kid or why their teacher has written them off, sent them to remedial classes because they don't want to deal with them anymore, when in all reality, that could be the smartest kid they would have ever taught. But they don't get to see that because they never see the kid in a free expression sort of area. Thank you for listening to Confessions of a Camp Counselor. If you or someone you know has been a camp counselor and wants to share your story, email me at dirtbagdreamin at gmail.com. That's D-I-R-T-B-A-G-D-R-E-A-M-I-N at gmail.com. How was it going, going a little bit off track from what you just said, how was it going yeah, totally from, fine. Camp, from camp life back to your quote-unquote normal life? Horrible. Um, <laughs> it <laughs> sucks. I have what I call a camp hangover for about a month usually after every summer ends. So I get done with camp. I say my goodbyes. I cry my eyes out for the four-hour drive home. And then I get home, and there's the excitement of being back in the real world, being back with my friends from college, being back at home, you know, not having to worry about keeping somebody else's children alive. Um, so there's about a week of that where I'm really excited to be back. You know, I try and see everyone do that. But then after that, I just get the camp blues and the post-camp blues. And it's just, I'm sad, and I can't really explain why, but I just, I, I don't feel good. I don't want to do anything. I just am stuck. And so transitioning immediately after to me is really different than transitioning long-term. It's It's kind of like what I was saying earlier where... Thunder is who Chauncey wants to be at all points in time. And I know it's weird and kind of psychotic to separate myself into two personalities like that, but Chauncey's so much more worried about the real world. And Thunder gets to worry about whether or not kids are having fun. You know, Chauncey's worried about paying rent, utilities, car, cell phone, all of that. Thunder's worried about, well, I hope there's enough mac and cheese that we can have a mac and cheese eating contest for our night activity tonight. Um, and so uh, getting home to me is always so weird because camp doesn't feel like a job. You know, we get paid to be 10 year old kids all summer. I get paid to go on a canoe trip. You know, you get paid to go out and just kick a soccer ball around with kids. Like we get paid to prank each other. We get paid to do skits. We get paid to do all of this stuff that doesn't, it's not a job. You know, it's just not. And so I have always felt that at home, 
if I give, and this is more work-related, but if I give 40% of the effort at whatever job I'm in that I do at camp, I'm going to be the best employee on their payroll. And that's 40%. You know, I've got 60% left somewhere. And it's because I, I got my dream job at 18 years old. You know, it's all, it's all I wanted to do as a career. You know, my two goals from the day I realized that I couldn't play professional sports were be a stay-at-home dad and be a Camp Reed counselor. And to get your dream job at 18 is something that I feel like so few people get to experience. And to get something where you are a cog in a machine that is moving progress forward in the world at a faster pace than anything you've ever seen before is powerful. And it's this, it's the, it's the reason can't people all get it. You know, it's to, to be such a small part of something bigger and to have that is, is something you can't put into words, but then you feel when it's gone, you know, you know when it's missing. And that's kind of what coming home is. And it's like what I was talking about earlier, where every time I drove away, I felt like I left part of my soul there. And that still happens. You know, every time I leave, I feel like a part of me is still there. And so I've never experienced that with anything in real life. You know, the closest I've ever found is friendships, peers. I was in a fraternity. That was kind of on the same spectrum, but still just not close enough to even compare. And so being at home feels like I'm cheating myself out of something that makes me so much better as a human being. And getting back from camp and trying to transition into the real world is strange because I will never have the rapport with my coworkers that I did with my coworkers at camp. You know, I I work at a paint store currently. One of my best friends, Colby, is my manager. And I love it. I love working with him. But even then, it's not the same. Because the only thing that I could compare it to would be if Colby and I, and then I had 35 other Colbys, and instead of doing paint, we got to do the funnest thing we could imagine. And so when you start comparing it, the real world falls apart. You know, there's nothing that stands up to what camp is, how I feel at camp. You know, I sleep six hours a night at camp. Not a problem because there's this palpable energy. There's this feeling of waking up and getting to put on Frozen at 8 a.m. and scream singing, let it go, to wake up 10, 11-year-olds uh, you know, there's you don't get to do that in the real world. If I did that, my roommates would come out and kill me. But at camp, that's normal. You know, that's expected. And we just don't we don't have that spontaneity in the real world. And we don't have the encouragement to just be goofy. And if you're not a goofy person, then do whatever it is that you are. And we get so stuck in the real world veiling ourselves for what we 
think other people want us to be, that it's really hard to feel the same about life that we do about camp life. And it's it's so hard to to look at the world when we're not at camp and be like, man, it's 6.15 on a Monday. I should be finishing up spaghetti dinner and getting changed to go play Capture the Flag with 400 people. And there's there's just nothing like that in the real world. You know, that sort of appreciation of fun and relaxing in the least relaxed way. You know, camp has the longest days but the shortest weeks. You know, you're go, go, go from 8 a.m. to midnight, but then all of a sudden it's Saturday and you're saying goodbye to the kids. And that sort of time framing, I've never experienced anything like it in the real world. You know, it it's like every night is Christmas as an eight-year-old kid and you are just so giddy with excitement that you almost can't sleep. But it's every day and we get to wake up and we get to do it every day. And you just don't get to do that in the real world. So for me, it's always just a really hard transition back because it's you go from 110% excitement to like, what, what do we get excited about in the same capacity in the modern day world? You know, goofiness and just randomness is celebrated out here and it's out there and it's feared in here, in life, in the real world. You know, having plans A, B, C, and D fail and you are scrambling for plan E in the real world is a huge panic-inducing moment. You know, it causes a lot of anxiety. At camp, that's just another free time. You know, it's just what you expect. And so there's, it's, it's the least amount of structure in a true structured schedule. And I think as human beings, we need that. And we lose a lot of it. You know, we get rigid as we get older. And I think camp prevents that a little bit. And being able to draw back on those memories, you know, even when times are the darkest here in the real world when I'm not at camp, I can still pull camp out. I can still find it in my heart. And it's that little place of just, you start thinking about it and it's this, it's this mix of emotions like nothing else causes. You know, it's unrelenting joy, but also the sadness of not being there. And so I think that's kind of the, the camp feeling. And those are the camp blues where you love it more than anything, but you know there's nothing in your power you can do to be there. So you have to try and figure out how to translate it into the real world. Um, and that was something that it, it took me a couple years as a counselor to not just come home and truly shut down for months on end because I just miss camp so bad. And part of it is that Camp Reed, our sign on the way out on the backside says, keep the spirit. And that's the mindset of whatever you learned at camp, however you felt at camp, take it out into the real world and share it with somebody. Um, one of my favorite sayings ever is to change the world, all you have to do is change your world. Influence one person and you've influenced the world. And so... Camp, camp allows us to do that. You know, we have this unbidden stream of conscious thought that we get to project to very malleable people and kids who are learning. And we have this opportunity to be a great role model. And so camp provides that in a way that I just haven't experienced in the real world. And it, it provides 
so much emotional stability and a support network that just doesn't exist at home. And so I think it is a really hard transition, but we do get to, you know, we get to be the little glitter fairies and just sprinkle a little camp dust wherever we go. And so that's, that's the best part about being back is we get to spread the love to people who have never experienced it. But it is, it is always a hard transition. And I think that the real world just, we have too much to focus on in the real world. And at camp, my biggest frustration on a day-to-day basis is there's one light on our communal bathroom that shines through the window right above my bed where I sleep. And every once in a while, it wakes me up. And if that's my biggest problem on a day-to-day basis, I don't have problems. And so at camp, you're so problem-free, and all of the little things become big things. And in the real world, all the big things become little things. And we forget at home to take time to journal and to take time to laugh and to take time to just make a fart joke with your buddies. And so camp to me is just a place that holds that. And it it feels like that's all missing in the real world. So when I get back to the real world, the transition just, it, it makes it really hard. But we we got to experience it and we always have those memories. And so I I feel like that's kind of the big difference for me is just at camp, you don't think about spreading the fairy dust and in the real world, you have to force yourself to spread it. What is one of the weirdest things that you've done as a counselor kind of going on the theme of at camp, you just get to be your old weird self. Oh man. So I, use my weirdness in a very specific way at camp. I use it to break down the barriers that kids have when they first come in. So, I mean, God, I've done everything from eating bugs, eating poop. I've fully like, I'm trying to think, because to me, it's not weird. It's just a normal day to day. Um, I've, let kids throw rotten milk water balloons at me for completing challenges in time. Um, I have, like, I, I don't know. I, for me, a lot of it centers around eating things. So, like, if we're on a hike the first night, I'll just pick up a little piece of deer poop and eat it just so the kids are like, okay, this guy's a little weird. He's a little crazy. Um, but for me, it's gross. But it's one and done. You just get it over with. But it gives the kids commonality. It gives them common ground where they can be like, can you believe Thunder just did that? This is the weirdest guy ever. What is wrong with him? But I do that on a Sunday night, and then Wednesday comes around, and I look at him and go, all right, boys, who's ready to get weird? And then all of a sudden, you've got nine, 10-year-olds just talking in a made-up language of grunts and clicks, trying to understand each other, walking around camp in our underwear, and and it's for me it was all about just setting the tone and showing them that like it doesn't matter who you are as long as you can do something that makes people around you feel better you're probably doing something that helps people and so uh, i don't know i've got all sorts of weird stuff but i just don't know if they're weird in the context of the real world and other people's camps cuz camp as a whole is weird um Let's see. I'm trying to think. I've dressed up as cult members to scare kids. We've, um, 
I ate a full raw onion in front of 300 kids because we were doing a Shrek free time. And I, I really wanted kids to show up where we just like hung out in the swamp and yelled at people who walked by. Um, we play, it's basically Clue, the board game Clue, but it's a giant version of it where all of the Camp Reed counselors take on personas and then the kids go around as a group and they're trying to figure out who dunced it. Um, and I, I've had so much fun in that. I, at one point we were turtles and strapped milk crates on our backs and didn't answer questions, just really slowly crawled around camp and like tried to untie kids shoes by biting their laces. Let's see. At one point I was Shamu and I was in the beginner section of the lake doing tricks for Swedish fish with another counselor. Um, I've done sloths. I'm trying to think of other ones. Oh, at one point I was just the void and I just sat under our store deck in the darkness, just wearing all black and just talking to no one just about how dark it was down there. And it, and it's just like, it can't just encourages you to be as weird as humanly possible. And so for me, it's just normal, you know, and, and it can't, it's just, it's just what, what you do. And so uh, for me, I guess all my weird moments are trying to get a reaction out of kids. And from a third party, you know, like eating poop is gross. But there's, there's a method to the madness there. And so for me, it's never weird because it works. And I always tell kids the worst thing I could ever be called is normal. If I'm normal, it means I'm not doing anything that makes people happy that I'm around. And I'm not doing anything that makes me happy. You know, normal just means you are checking the boxes of life. You're fulfilling everything you need to, but there's no joy in it. So uh, for me, I always talk to kids about how if somebody calls you weird, that's the greatest thing they could ever call you because it means you're unique. And it means that you are unafraid to be who you are. And so, uh, uh, you know, camp to me is just weird. Camp is a cult in and of itself, and I love it. And so... It just, it, it, it is just that. It's just the ability to be weird and have people go, sweet, weird is normal, and normal is bad. And that's what it's all about. It's all about just being a goofball. And granted, that's my personality, so it fits well in my counseling style. You know, everybody's got different styles. How do you take care of yourself mentally, physically, emotionally, while being with kids 24-7, six days a week? Aha, so this is the one that I get roasted for at camp every year. I don't. Um, I, For me, being around the kids is taking care of myself. You know, I feed off of their energy, and I'm constantly learning, and I'm in a state of awe. And I've had a couple of cabins through the years where I it, it didn't feel like counselor campers. It felt like it was just me hanging out. I was part of the cabin. And so I've always drawn my energy off of kids. So like at, at ours, we have, we do free times three days a week where we do back to back hour and a half long free times. And we are required to take a free time on and then take a free time off. And that free time off, most people go and shower because we only shower once a week or they'll go read a book. They'll go take a nap. They'll go hang out in one of the two buildings that has AC whatever it is. And for me, I will always jump on another free time because being around the kids replenishes my spirits. 
and being around the kids was the best way I felt better. You know, if I was having a horrible day, the only thing that could pull me out of it would be going and hanging out with a kiddo. And it didn't have to be a kiddo in my cabin. It could have been the one kid sitting alone on the waterfront or it's this group of two random people that I've noticed have kind of been excluded from their group, and I just want to make friends with them. And shit, they might be 12 years old, but they're people, and people are valid, and people deserve to be appreciated. And uh, yeah, for me, I never really did the naps. I never really did the showering. I... If I got up early to meditate in the mornings, I got up with my campers with me. Um, and I, I think I approached it kind of a different way than a lot of counselors because a lot of counselors at Camp Reed are constantly trying to do the craziest night activity, you know, the craziest free time, the thing that people talk about for the next 20 years. But those aren't the things that kids remember. You know, kids don't remember that, but kids do remember that you took five minutes when they were having a bad day to sit down on the waterfront and ask about them. Kids remember that you remembered their name the next summer that they came back. Kids don't remember what you did. Kids remember how you made them feel. And so for me, I felt this overwhelming sense of guilt whenever I was not with kids. And so I think part of my self-care was I avoided that sense of guilt by interacting with the kids more. And then I, I'm just a highly energetic person. And so for me, it was never an energy issue. It was never that. And I, I never really got burnt out on it. You know, I, I still could rip a full summer of cabins. I could do eight weeks right now. No questions asked. I'd do it in a heartbeat. Because it, it just, it, it was so special. And it was, it's the place that made me who I am. You know, camp, camp is the reason that I'm able to talk to people. And camp's the reason that I want to help people for the rest of my life. And so for me, camp in and of itself was self-care. And going to camp every year was self-care. So I, I didn't need self-care while, while I was already in my self-care, if that makes sense. And, and I got a lot of flack for it. You know, there, there are a couple of nurses who would literally come grab me and be like, you need to go sleep right now. But that's just what camp is. You know, that's just people looking out for you. And yeah, so I'm, I'm very guilty of not taking personal time, not taking um, time to reinflate because the, the kids were all the inflation I needed. So tell me about your most impactful camp story. I have a couple of different ones. I have a couple that had really profound impacts on me as a human being. Um, and I, I really am not legally allowed to get into a lot of it because in several cases I've had to talk to Child Protective Services and had to communicate on kids' behalves. Um, and so the, those always hurt. And, you know, I could still name every kiddo that has been in my care who had to go home early in a week. Um and I can I can name the kids who I have had the deepest life chats with. Um, oh. So I think things that had a profound impact on me are a lot of the times it was more in hindsight. Um, so I think Aaron is actually a really good example. Aaron was my, my second year as a counselor. She was my CIT. 
So I led her CIT group during work week and then on that bike trip. Um, and so uh, a lot of my most self-gratifying moments at camp were people like her coming back to me years later and being like, you don't remember this, but you said this to me when I was 15 and having a horrible time. And that turned my entire life around. Or you looked at me and went, you're smart, you're strong, you're powerful. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. All right, this, this one's hard for me, but uh, we do a week every year called Camp Good Times. And Camp Good Times is a camp week that is designed for kiddos who have been affected by cancer. And so it's kids who have had parents or siblings have it and are undergoing treatment. It's kids who are actively undergoing their own treatments. You know, it's this hodgepodge group. And there was one little girl, 11 years old, my first year on staff. And she couldn't run. She had leg braces, full leg braces. So she couldn't run. She didn't move very fast. And I, that week, was dishing. I was doing our dishes the whole week. And so when you're a disher, you don't have a cabin because <laughs> we produce a lot of dishes. Um, and so as a disher, you get some free time. So whenever you get your dishes done, you just get free time to go out, hang out with kids at camp, and then you're always free for night activities. So we do a campfire every night and do skits, sing songs, every once in a while tell a story, and then... After campfire, we have two to four hours, depending on ages, for to go out and do activities just all over our 555 acres. And so with her, I had met her at a free time early in the week. And for me, I always gravitate towards the kids who are quieter and not necessarily a huge part of the group. And Part of that was I was one of those kids. You know, I was the shy, awkward kid who just wanted to fit in. So I stood next to the cool groups while the cool groups didn't really know who I was. Um, so I, I have a really soft spot for those kids. And so I always try and find those kids and chat with them. And for her, sweetest kid I've ever met, so smart, incredibly gifted singer. And she just she felt so bad because she felt like she was holding her cabin back. You know, they would go on hikes and they would have to wait at the top while somebody drove her up in a golf cart. So she hated that. And I think that's a very natural feeling. You know, anyone would grow to resent that, especially a kiddo who's battling cancer. But she and I just became buds. You know, she was just my friend. I ended up eating lunch with her every meal. I wouldn't sit with the other staff who were dishing. I went and sat with her at her table. Um, and she, as as the week went on, I kind of became her golf cart buddy. So I was the one who would give her rides places in the golf cart. And we, at one point, just her and I, because they were going to play Zsa, Zsa Ball. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Incredible game. Um but it's it's pretty fast-paced, pretty high contact, and she couldn't play. She was feeling really sad about watching. So her and I went down, and we ended up just pimping out the golf cart. You know, her and I decorated it with streamers from the arts and crafts. We put glitter all over it, did all of that. And 
then the week ended. We did all of that. That was my first year. I was not able to be out there for the next three years because, as you well know, at camp you get sick. You know, you're just in too close proximity. People get sick. And so for our good times weeks, if anybody was running any sort of fever or anything, we had immune-compromised kids. So we didn't – we weren't allowed out there, which totally fair. But I, I couldn't go for three years. So then on year number five, my first year back, I'm standing on the waterfront. We're checking kids in. And this teenage girl just goes, thunder? and takes off across the waterfront in a full sprint and jumps in and gives me the biggest hug. And I look at her, and I'm like, I don't know who you are. And then I look at her again and go, oh, my God, name redacted? And she was just, yeah, check it out. I got my braces off. And she had this. A zebra hat fedora that she always wore that it was my favorite thing like it's how I struck up conversation with her and she was like I thought you didn't work here anymore I've been bringing this for the last four years because you said it was your favorite I melted I mean full tears on the waterfront <laughs> starting to do it now but it was just it was her and she was cancer free and had been for two years. And I, I knew that, of course, because I was following her story avidly. But in in that moment, and of course, we immediately struck the friendship back up. And in that first moment of seeing her, that was the moment where it was like, this is camp. And this is what camp means. And this is what camp does. Um, and so she wrote me a note, actually, um, at the end of my last summer out there. So not this summer, but the previous one. Um, and I, I keep it with me. It's still in my wallet. I have it everywhere. Um, but she wrote it just thanking me for taking the time to believe in her and just the most heartfelt thing and just such highbrow concepts for a 13, 14 year old and just melted me. And I, whenever I'm having just horrible days, I just pull the letter out and read it. So that's probably my most impactful. And then I have other, a million other just great moments, gratifying moments, but that was the one that Every time I think about it, I just tear up a little bit. It just makes it just makes you happy. You're just like that's right. what camp's all about, you know. And that's what camp is, and camp's just appreciating people for who they are. So, what's something most people wouldn't know about being a counselor? It, it, it's kind of a weird roundabout one because it's not necessarily counselor specific. I, I guess I'll give you a counselor specific one. You have the most uncomfortable, intimate conversations with people that you never thought you would have in your life. And it's one of my favorite things ever. You know, like, and and Camp Reed's a weird spot because we have the true, like, western half, Washington, incredibly liberal Seattleites with a culture clash of the Cheney area, central Washington, yee-yee farm boys. And so it's the weirdest culture clash. And so it's just this, you know, I've never talked to so many people about how a poop went in my entire life. And I've, I've never talked to so many people where the first question when you're getting to know them is, what's your biggest fear? What's the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to you? If you could change one thing in society, what would it be? 
So you have these profound conversations with people you would never have interacted with in real life. And you get to you get to see the world in the most wholesome eyes from every different perspective. And so that's something that I really appreciate from counselor to counselor and sort of something that people don't really know or don't really think about. Um, and kind of my more meta answer to it would be that I've learned how much impact a simple two-minute conversation can have on the party who needs it. And it's two minutes for us, two minutes for you and I. We don't think about it. We've probably forgotten that conversation by lunch. But the kid we talked to who was struggling, the other counselor we talked to who was struggling, we said one thing, four words, one sentence, whatever it is, that is now ingrained on their heart forever. And it's something that they look back on in the same way that I look back on my moments on the waterfront and with kids coming up and giving me big hugs like that, where for them it was everything. And for them it gets them through the darkest. You know, it's that little bit of sunshine when they're down the hole in the middle of winter and we, we forgot all about it. For us, we forgot about it 10 minutes later. But for them, they kept it forever. And it can be as simple as looking at somebody before they take a swim test and going, you got this. Or as complex as looking at a 14-year-old with self-esteem issues and going, who cares what they think? You're an incredible human being. Don't forget that. And so that to me is kind of the, the meta answer of something that I don't think people realize. And that can translate into the real world too. Where if we just take the time to do the little things, for us it's a little thing. For the other person, it's everything. How have the summers as a counselor influenced your life going forward then? Has it changed any life path? Or you still kind of going on the same yes. thing that you were before? Yep. It absolutely changed. I mean, it changed everything. Um, I've I've always wanted to be a dad. Like I said, stay-at-home dad was my goal. I just... I. And it translates to having your own kids. It translates to camp kids. My biggest goal in life is to inspire somebody to be better than I was. And I figure as a society, if everyone can inspire one person to be better, eventually everyone will be inspired to be better and the rising tide will lift all boats. But for me, it completely shifted my focus on what I wanted to do career-wise. Because uh, sports has always been an obsession of mine. So I always thought it was going to be something in sports. I mean, I almost went to several colleges because they had a sports management undergrad. And camp was the first thing that got me thinking, you know, maybe I want to have something a little more impactful than being a sports agent or being an athletic director. Maybe I was falling into the trap that I think a lot of people fall into the trap of right outside of high school where you're expected to know exactly what you want to do. You're expected to announce it to the world and then follow that path perfectly. And camp got me thinking, you know, maybe the big stuff on those paths isn't the right answer. Maybe I should stop looking for a dream job, stop being like, I want to be a general manager of a baseball team, and broaden it and get more umbrella and start going, well, maybe I want to help people. And maybe I want to help kids. Maybe I want to help kids realize that they are incredible human beings 
no matter what other people have told them. And so it shifted my focus less from really putting it into those cookie cutter boxes and more being like, well, how can I work with kids and have an impact? And so it, it's completely shifted it. I mean, I've started working with kiddos here in town um, through a speech path clinic where I'm doing some tutoring after school work. And I'm, the more I do it, the more it seems similar to camp and the more I'm falling in love with working with kids and working with kids who maybe need a little more help and a little more guidance. And so to me, it completely shifted my focus from falling into the trap of strictly financial. I need to make money to be happy. I need to make money to be happy and shifted it towards, I need to be happy to be happy. And I need to find things that fulfill me. And I need to find being content and money's never going to do that. So I think camp really opened my mind up to that and opened it up to the possibilities of it doesn't have to be the highest paying job, but if you're getting a lot of personal fulfillment out of it, it is the right job for you. If someone was considering being a counselor, what would you tell them? Make sure it's what you want to do. Make sure that your heart is 100% in it, no matter what it is, because it looks like it's all fun and games, but there is some hard stuff. And you do deal with a lot of heartbreak, and it's heartbreak that you don't have a lot of control over. You know, it's kids from bad home lives that is the true heartbreak. I also would tell them that you don't be a camp counselor for the money. The money has nothing to do with it. If you're not willing to do it for free, you're not in it for the right reasons. And it's it sounds bad. You know, it sounds like a very negative approach to it. But if somebody wants to be a camp counselor, they already know why they want to do it. You know, they know that something's pulling them in that direction. And so for me, it'd be more just establishing like, hey, it, it doesn't get to be all fun and games. There are going to be nights where a kid is going to wake you up at 3.30 in the morning because they're homesick and they're sobbing. And yeah, you went to bed at midnight after being on your feet and sprinting around hiking all day, but you need to be up for that kid and you need to be there for that kid. And so you need to be willing to put in the hard hours to get to enjoy the fun stuff. And and I think I would just, I would talk to them about that. And then for me, it would just be like, why? My first question to them would be, why? And if the first answer is out of their mouth isn't something along the lines of helping people, being part of a greater good, something community-based, I, I think I would recommend a different route. Um, because it is something that, you you can't half-ass it. You need a whole-ass camp. And if if you're not prepared to do it, it just, it's going to, it's not going to be fun for you. You're not going to get the same thing out of it that everyone else has. And I, I, yeah, I, I really think it's just talking to him about that because the love's there. You know, people don't just wake up one day and go, you know, I think maybe I want to be a camp counselor. And I think for most people, it's like you, you're giving back to an organization that has given you so much, or you worked in another camp, or you want to learn how kids' brains work, or you want to be part of something. And so I feel like those thoughts are already embedded within people, and, and they don't necessarily need to hear that because they know. And they know that they know the beauty of camp. They know the love of camp. They know that feeling. And you can't explain that feeling. So for me, it'd be more about just why Why are you in it? Are you in it because you truly want to be here? Or are you in it for a different reason? And, you know, some of the best people I've ever met just 
camp counseling didn't work for them because it just it was it was too much of a time commitment or it just was something that they're an incredibly genuine human being but it didn't work with their skill sets. I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think that camp is for everyone until it isn't. And when it's not for you, it's one of the worst days of your life. But it's it's time to recognize that you have put so much love into a place and it will continue to have that love and it will be there long after you're gone because it was there long before you were there. Um, so I, I really do think it's something where uh, being a camp counselor is the greatest job you'll ever do. And so I hold people to the camp standard. And the camp standard is the highest standard I hold anyone to, myself included. And if you meet the camp standard, then camp's for you. And share that and share that love with the world. And so I... I just I would hope that anyone who's looking to be a camp counselor is doing it for the right reasons, and everyone I've met who has is. And you know, there's a reason that a lot of camps turn people around after one year, and people don't make it past one, and it's because it is hard, and it's not something you think about because you see and hear from your camp counselor friends how much fun they had, because the fun outweighs the hard stuff so so much that you forget about the hard stuff within an hour every time. Is there anything else you'd like to add? That being said, if counseling is not for you as a member in the general audience, camp is, and everyone and anyone can find something special at camp because it is for everyone, and it is tailored specifically to fit people in, and it's tailored to be inclusive. And Camp is a place where you get to be yourself in the rawest form. You don't have to worry about conforming for other people. You don't have to worry about what somebody else might think because at camp, they're not thinking, what's wrong with this person? They're thinking, what makes this person special? And I think if the world could all go to summer camp, if I could put everyone in the world in summer camp for at least a year, we would all be in a better place because you just don't run into love like that very often. And you don't feel palpable love like that in such a large area with so many people, but it's there. And us talking about it will never, ever do it justice. You got to feel it for yourself. You have to experience it. If you're a parent out there, for the love of God, send your kid to camp. It will be the best decision you've ever made. They will come home kinder, with more humility, and as a more genuine human being. Please, please, please donate to your local camps, fund your local camps, volunteer at your local camps. They will change your life. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of Confessions of a Camp Counselor. Tune in next time to hear some more insights of what it's like.